Discover the tips and strategies that will help you achieve your retirement goals. I'm your host, James Canole, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you retire well. It all starts right here on Ready for Retirement. of Ready for Retirement. I'm your host, James Canole. On today's episode, we're talking about something that really is confusing to a lot of people, and that thing is long-term care insurance. And long-term care insurance is one of those just ambiguous, lurking worries a lot of people have as they approach retirement. Uh, I know what my budget is, I know what I want to spend, or maybe I have at least an approximate idea, but I have no idea about this thing called long-term care, and do I need insurance to cover against it? So in today's episode, we are going to talk about that, and it was prompted by a listener question, and the listener's name, her name is DK, and she says this. She says, my husband and I are both retired and collecting state pensions. I am 62, and he is 63. He has a monthly gross state pension of $4,200 per month. I have a gross monthly state pension of $3,600 per month. The pensions do not have built-in cost of living adjustments, although every few years we may get a 1% to 2% increase. However, they do have a built-in survivor benefit of 50%, meaning each of us would continue to get 50% of the other's pension if one of us were to die. We have excellent health insurance provided through the state. In addition, we have traditional IRAs of $300,000, Roth IRAs of $350,000, mutual funds, CDs, and bonds in a non-retirement account of about $200,000, and savings of $45,000 in a standard savings account. When we begin taking Social Security, we will each get about $2,000 per month. If one of us were to die, the other would have a gross minimum monthly income of $7,700 with just our pensions and one Social Security check before touching our investments. Our monthly expenses are about $6,500 and our home is worth about $325,000. There's no mortgage or other debt. My concern is we know we don't have long-term care insurance. We looked into it a while ago, but it was extremely expensive because of a chronic health condition, and my husband's health is okay. What are your thoughts on long-term care insurance? Do you think I should investigate that more? Long-term care costs are my biggest fear, as our parents required stays in nursing homes for several years that pretty much depleted their savings. We do have one child, but he does not live close to us and would not be in a situation to help with our care if needed. I am reluctant to spend any of our money on house upgrades or travel because I'm afraid we might need the money in the future for future nursing home costs. Love listening to your show. I value the advice you give. DK from the Diamond State. Well, DK, thank you very much for that question. And and just to summarize here, here is the short version of that question. DK and her husband have fairly strong income amounts. Between just pensions and Social Security, there's just under $12,000 per month coming in before they tap into in their investments. Even if one of them predeceases the other, they still have about $7,700 per month coming in between a pension, a survivor's pension, and then Social Security. And on top of that, they have about eight hundred dollars to $900,000 between their investments and their savings. So they have income in excess of their expenses, but the concern, and there's almost this paralyzing fear, which I see all the time, of we know that we're okay today. That's not necessarily the concern. The concern is what if there is a long-term care event? We know how quickly that can deplete our savings. We saw it happen to our parents. How do we protect against that so that we're okay? So in today's episode, there's a lot of nuance to not long-term care decisions. There's a lot of details and variables that could impact this. So this certainly is not advice. This is not designed to be a specific answer to 
DK's question or anyone's question as much as a high-level overview of long-term care and some statistics around it that are helpful to know, as well as some planning points to consider. And how should you look at this in the context of your financial plan? So to start, when people ask or when you are asking, do I need long-term care insurance? You're not asking, will I have a long-term care event? What you are really asking, just to frame the question correctly, is do I have a way of potentially funding the cost of long-term care? Now, sometimes that cost is nothing or very minimal. Other times that cost can be very expensive. But needing long-term care insurance isn't necessarily the same as will you have a long-term care event? Because a lot of people will have a long-term care event. Not necessarily everyone needs to have long-term care insurance. So to start, let's look at some statistics. This is from the Administration for Community Living. These statistics are from longtermcare.gov. The statistics are that someone turning 65 today has almost a 70% chance of needing some type of long-term care services and support in their remaining years. So chances are good you will need some type of long-term care. Now, long-term care could be as basic as your spouse or a family member providing some care for you and coming over and helping out with some of the things or it could be in an assisted living or nursing facility. So that is encompassing everything. There's a 70% chance, seven out of 10 people on average will need some type of assistance. Women on average need long-term care for 3.7 years and men on average need long-term care for 2.2 years. One third of today's 65 year olds may never need long-term care support, but 20% will need it for longer than five years. So what do these statistics tell us? Kind of not a whole lot. Yes, they're helpful, but the reality is you might have zero dollars in terms of long-term care costs over the course of your lifetime, or you could have hundreds of thousands of dollars of long-term care costs over the course of your lifetime. And at the end of the day, the averages in the statistics don't really matter because that's an average of looking at thousands and tens and hundreds of thousands of people. For you, you're either going to need it or you won't. You're not going to 70% need it. You're not going to 30% need it. You either do or you don't. It's really a binary thing. So as we're looking at this, what we really want to understand in today's episode is what are the different types of long-term care? When do those come into play? How can you think about the costs of those? How long on average do people need those types of services? But then most importantly, how do you fund those? Is this something that you need long-term care insurance for? Can you self-fund it? Or are there other things that you can do to protect against this? And this is really important to know because whether you do need long-term care insurance or don't need long-term care insurance, if you don't have a plan around it, you might find yourself with similar concerns of of DK, who is answering this question or who's asking this question of even though we have strong income and we've done a good job of saving and investing, there's going to be this paralyzing sense of how much can we spend? I don't want to overspend, so we're going to maybe be overly frugal because we just don't know what that future holds and how we can protect against long-term care. So today's goal is to try to flush some of that out to see how you can think about this. Let's start by doing this. Let's define the different types of long-term care. Long-term care isn't just one thing. You could have two different people who say, yes, I have a long-term care event, and they mean radically different things. So let's go through that. The first type is really just unpaid care. This could be someone who's helping you with bathing or dressing or taking medications. This is supervision to make sure you're safe. A lot of times this is unpaid, meaning it's a spouse doing this, it's family members, it's friends, it's neighbors helping. 
it's it's the most common type of long-term care where you're not paying for it. There's not a long-term care insurance that even is going to help support this. It's really just you have some assistance from friends or family helping to take care of you. This isn't nursing facility. This isn't you going to a long-term care facility or an assisted living facility. It's really just you're staying at home and you have some people helping around the house. This is the most common type. So when I say 70% of people are going to need some type of long-term care, a lot of it will fall under this. Do you necessarily need to plan financially for this type of long-term care? Maybe, maybe not, but it's probably not an extreme amount. It's just help from people around the house. Now, the next level up from that is maybe you don't have a spouse or family or friends or someone that you can at least depend upon to take care of you. That's where you have different types of homemaker services. Homemaker services, they offer practical assistance with routine household tasks. This comes from everything or this looks like everything from making the bed to washing dishes to cleaning the kitchen to sweeping and mopping the floors to doing laundry to making sure that meal planning is taking place to make sure that You're getting rides to doctors or to clinics or to run errands or to do shopping. This could be shopping for groceries. This could be performing errands. Really, it's someone that you're paying to do full-time care services, but they're doing it at your home, meaning you can stay at home, you're not in a facility, but you have someone who's coming over, and you could, of course, determine how long they're there for. Sometimes this is for a few hours a day. Sometimes this could be a 24-7 thing where you have people rotating and doing different types of homemaker services. But what it is, is it's a long-term care service where you have someone helping to do these types of things. Now, there's actually a great tool. If you go to Genworth, if you just Google Genworth long-term care average costs, there's going to be data on this. But what they do is they break down the median costs for different types of long-term care services based upon your zip code. Now, I'm in San Diego, so I ran these based upon a zip code in San Diego. San Diego is more expensive than the rest of the country on average. So if you go to this tool, we can even include it in the show notes. You could type in your zip code and get a sense for the average median costs for different type of long-term care events. And for homemaker services, the average cost in 2020 was about $5,700 per month. So certainly not cheap, but that $5,700 per month was to pay for someone to be at your home and to fully wait on your needs and to be able to do all the things that would allow you to continue living at home while having the safety of having someone supervise a lot of these activities or do a lot of the activities of daily living for you. That's one option. Another option is called adult day health care. And what this is, is this is a senior care option for elders who need assistance but still want to live at home, but you're not necessarily paying for a full-time caretaker to come to your home. Instead, you're going to adult daycare because it's really giving you a place where you can have assistance with things like eating or taking medications, toileting, walking, really someone to supervise you and all those things. There's oftentimes educational programs. There's things that kind of help provide benefits for mental stimulation, exercise programs, health monitoring, preparation of meals and snacks. It's really a place where this benefits the care receiver, but also the caregiver. Because being a caregiver, if you're listening to this and you've ever had any experience, it can be quite exhausting. If you are having your full-time job, but you're also maybe caring for a parent or you're providing care for someone, you know how much of time that can take. And not just time, but your mental energy that's committed to that as well and the things that you have to be giving up in order to do so. So oftentimes adult day healthcare is a benefit, yes, to the care recipient, but it's also a tremendous benefit to the caregiver. It gives them some downtime. And so as you're planning for long-term care, This is another option 
where it allows a break for both the care recipient and the caregiver. It still provides those needed social interactions for the care recipient. It provides some structure to those daily activities. But there's a key difference here. Some people say, well, that just sounds like the traditional community senior center. You know, if I'm in a community with a senior center, I can just go down and there's activities and there's socialization and there's there's meals. The difference is traditional community centers, they're great places for healthy older people where you're still competent to do a lot of things on your own. You don't necessarily need a supervisor. You're going there more for socialization or for just social interaction. Traditionally, when you're looking at adult day healthcare, it's really for people who need more supervision. They need more services. On average, more than half of older people who attend adult day healthcare have some degree of cognitive impairment. So it's not some place that you're going to socialize. It's a place where you're going to get caregiver services, but as part of a group and not necessarily that one-on-one caregiver service that you would require at home. Now, the average cost for something like this for adult day healthcare, again, these are based upon a zip code in San Diego, is about $1,700 per month. It's $1,733 per month was the median price in 2020. So it's a lesser cost than what we just looked at, which was the the homemaker service where you have someone waiting on you full-time at home. It's a lesser cost because you're really part of a group and you're part of many people being overseen by staff there but it's a way to provide some structure. It's a way to give some relief to the caregiver. And it's a way for the person needing care to be able to have services that are really necessary still continue to provide to them without demanding or needing all those services on a one-on-one basis at their own home. The next option of long-term care, and one probably a lot of people have, have heard of, is an assisted living facility. So with an assisted living facility, to start, the average median cost in San Diego for 2020 was $4,525 per month. Now, with these facilities, you are no longer living at home, whereas the adult day health care or the homemaker services, that was providing support so that you could continue to live at home. And of course, with the adult day health care, it is a different place that you go to during the day, but you're still living at home versus homemaker services. It's someone coming to your home and providing services there. The difference is with an assisted living facility, this is a full-time separate facility. You are no longer in your home. With assisted living communities, it's a chance to give older adults that more personalized care, but in a residential setting. They're oftentimes going to be for seniors whose health or well-being does require a higher level of support. And it's just a great place where you're going to have a place where you can have that healthy lifestyle. There's going to be engagement. There's going to be social interaction. There's going to be meals together. So it's a place where a lot of these needs can be met and it's a separate residential setting. And again, on average, the assisted living facility costs in San Diego in 2020 $4,525 per month. Now, assisted living facilities are not skilled nursing facilities. So DK in her question, she was saying, my parents spent a lot of time in assisted nursing facilities. Those are going to be the most expensive option in most cases. Where skilled nursing or nursing home facilities on average in San Diego in 2020 for a semi-private room, it was an average cost of $10,700 per month. For a fully private room, it was an average cost of $14,400 per month. So you can see there is certainly a price jump from the assisted living option to even the homemaker services and certainly adult day healthcare. There's quite a jump to the skilled nursing facility. Now, the reason for that is with a nursing home facility, this is for people who need a higher level of supervision and care than they would in an assisted living facility. 
oftentimes nursing home facilities, they're going to offer residents kind of a personal care. They're going to offer room and board, there's supervision, there's medication, there's therapies, there's rehabilitation. And really, there's just skilled nursing care 24 hours a day. So really, it's once your health is at a place where you do require more full-time care, you do require more supervision, that's where the skilled nursing facility comes into play. Now, this is very expensive, and this is where most people's concerns lay, is they look at these costs and they say, oh my gosh, how am I going to afford another $10,000 per month or $14,000 per month for skilled nursing facility, potentially times two, if both my spouse and I both need this? But here's a couple things to note. On average... People need long-term care of any type for about three years. Again, some people don't need it at all. Some people need it much longer. But on average, people need some type of long-term care service for about three years. On average, the median stay in a nursing home facility is about five months. So again, sometimes it's less, sometimes it's longer. But it's not as if when we're looking at these costs, these costs can be very scary, and rightfully so. On average, these costs are not going on for three, four, five years. Sometimes they certainly are. It sounds like DK for her parents, it sounds like this cost was something that they're paying for quite a bit longer than five years or five months, I should say, which is the median stay in a skilled nursing facility. So we look at this because there's varying degrees of services for varying degrees of needs and all of them cost different amounts. So many people, they will need one type of service for some period of time, then another service for a different period of time. Here's the thing to note is all of these can be fairly expensive. When people look at this, though, they often think of this as an additional expense. And sometimes it is. But one thing to note is that sometimes these expenses are not on top of every other expense because sometimes other things go away. By the time that you need long-term care, you're probably not traveling as much. So maybe that's an expense that goes away. Depending on what option you select, food may be included in some of those prices we talked about. So there's no food expense. You're not paying utilities. You maybe aren't even paying property taxes. Or if you had a mortgage payment, maybe you've sold your home and you go into one of these facilities. So those expenses go away. So there's lots of these little things or even these big things that when you are in assisted living, many of these expenses go away. So don't think of all these as costs on top of what you're already spending. Think of some of these costs as covering some of what you're already spending and some of what you're already spending just may not be there forever, especially when you're in a long-term care facility or you're needing long-term care. So let's look at an example. Maybe you're doing your retirement budget and you come up with how much you want to live on. And let's say it's $8,000 per month. And then you're listening to this podcast and you say, oh my gosh, James is talking. He says, if I need skilled nursing facility, even for a semi-private room, that's another $10,000 per month. Meaning my retirement now is going to cost $8,000 per month of what I initially budgeted for, plus $10,000 per month for as long as I might need skilled nursing. And you realize the total is $18,000 per month, and that's just not sustainable. And, And that's the kind of the first impression, the first thought that most people have. But the first thing you need to think of is what does that $8,000 account for when you're doing your initial retirement budget? And how much of that will go away? Then when you need long-term care, it's not like you go right into the nursing facility in all cases. You may have some non-paid services by a spouse or family or friend. So maybe, yes, you need long-term care, but those that care is not really costing you anything. Then maybe you do need an assisted living facility. And okay, the average assisted living facility, based upon the numbers I wrote, went through was about $4,500 per month. So okay, still less than $8,000 per month. Now, of course, this depends. Do you have two spouses in an assisted living facility? That's going to be a little bit different, of course. But still, that's not too off from the range of $8,000 per month that you planned for. 
And then maybe for the last few months on average, and of course averages don't necessarily mean a ton to you specifically because your specific situation is probably gonna be a lot shorter, a lot longer, if anything at all. But on average for the last few months, then maybe you need some skilled nursing facility. And during that time that you need a skilled nursing facility, expenses do go up quite a bit, but it may potentially only be for a shorter period of time. So that being said, how do you actually insure against this? Because the goal of insurance is to protect against what could go wrong. And even if there's not a huge likelihood that your long-term care event costs several hundred thousand dollars, like it could in worst case scenario, it is still potentially an option. And the goal of insurance is to say, how do we protect against that? So let's go to this listener's case and actually start to address some of the things that she asked. In her case, while she and her husband are living, so today the total income is $11,800 per month that they will have if social security was turned on or once social security is turned on plus their pensions. Now, living expenses are $6,500 per month, which means there's about $5,000 per month of excess income that they could do something with. So right there, I look at that and say, okay, even if you did need an assisted living facility, you could put another $5,000 per month on top of what you're already spending, and you could cover that out of assisted living facility, still spend the full $6,500 per month that you're currently budgeting for, of which in all reality, some of that would go away and be fine. Now, that's an incredibly simplistic look at that because some of this income that they have is not going to receive the cost of living adjustments that normal inflation is going to go up by. But that's one thing I look at is while they're both living, there's some strong income coming in before they even tap into their investments. Now, we have to look at worst case scenario. Again, that's what insurance is really addressing is not what's most likely or what's probable what could happen and how do we protect against the worst case scenario here? Well, worst case scenario is if one spouse passes away, then the monthly income for this particular listener, the income gets cut. Monthly income goes down to about $7,700 per month, which is still enough to cover their basic needs, but maybe not enough to cover a skilled nursing facility or something on top of that. So with that, let's take another high level step back here. When you buy long-term care insurance, It's not as if that policy will pay you income forever and ever and ever for as long as you're potentially needing long-term care. There is going to be a cap, meaning these policies will pay a fixed amount per day for some fixed period of time, but there's a cap to it. Meaning if you run up a long-term care bill of say $500,000 in an extreme scenario, your long-term care insurance isn't necessarily going to cover all those expenses. It's going to cover up to a cap. In this case, maybe $200,000 or $300,000. So looking at research, this is actually from 2017. So of course, these numbers are going to be up a little bit now. But research from PricewaterhouseCoopers in 2017 found that the average lifetime cost of long-term care was $172,000. This number, this includes everything from paid in-home care to living in an assisted living community and or living in a nursing home. But again, the average isn't necessarily what we want to focus on. Because if you look at this, 25% of the time, the long-term care only lasted eight months and the cost of that care was less than $26,000, meaning that a quarter of the time, the long-term care event itself did not last that long. And it only cost about $26,000 or so, which for this particular case could probably just be absorbed into the monthly budget. But another quarter of the time, the lifetime cost exceeded $240,000. So that's really what we want to insure against is that outlier, not even the outlier, but just the worst case scenario event of how much could it cost. So when we want to self-insure, we know that this this listener has pension and social security. And if you're listening, you probably have some income sources, whether they're social security or pension or rent or whatever it might be. 
but those pensions don't have a cost of living adjustment for this particular listener. So let's almost earmark Social Security and the pensions as just being for basic living expenses. Let's assume that to take a very simple approach, you just use those to live on. Well, we also know that DK has about $850,000 of investments. So let's just assume that DK may have a long-term care cost of $300,000. So it is on the extreme side of things. So if $300,000, let's assume that that need or that long-term care event happens in 20 years. How would they self-insure against that? Well, long-term care, when you look at this, let's assume that that's going to go up by inflation, but long-term care costs have gone up by more than inflation. They've gone up 3 to 5% on average the past 20 years or so. This is based upon data from long-term care insurance partners. Let's just assume 4% as a simple starting point. What that means is $300,000 today of long-term care costs, if that's what it would cost today in a more extreme scenario, that would cost closer to $658,000 in 20 years. I mean that if DK wants to protect against a long-term care event in 20 years, I'm just using that as an arbitrary number, she would need $658,000 to do so. So one thing that we could do is we could do a present value calculation to say, okay, what amount would DK need to peel off from her portfolio today? And if it grows at some rate of return, it would give you that $658,000 in the future. Well, this is of course going to depend upon what growth rate you assume. But if you assume that you can invest in a portfolio that grows at 6% per year on average over the next 20 years, you would need to peel off about $205,000 today and that $205,000 in the future would be worth $658,000, which is the equivalent of $300,000 of long-term care cost in today's dollars. So that's one way you could approach it, is mentally earmark. You could even physically separate your portfolio, open up a separate account, and understand what amount do I need to transfer over to this separate account. And if it's growing by some rate of return, is probably going to put me in a position to where I could self-fund long-term care. Now, what does that look like? So if DK has $850,000 today, what does it look like to peel off $200,000 and only take withdrawals from $650,000 of her portfolio? Well, one way, like I said, is to physically remove that $200,000 or $205,000, put it in a separate account. Or when running withdrawal rates, just calculate a withdrawal rate, say using the 4% rule, on $650,000 instead of $850,000. So even if you didn't separate your portfolio and you kept it all together, if you want to see how much portfolio or how much income your portfolio could generate, use some rule. Again, use 4% rule in this example. I would say, okay, what is 4% of $650,000? Not the full 850 because we're going to peel off 200000 for long-term care. What is 4% of $650,000? Well, that comes out to $26,000 per year or just over $2,000 per month. Of course, that's pre-tax, but that's the amount the portfolio could sustain using that simple 4% rule. So that's the amount that you can almost think about taking from your portfolio. Again, this is not advice. This is just kind of flushing through one way to think about it. But you could look to take out about that amount from your portfolio to supplement the things that you want to do today. So going back to DK's original concern is she's afraid to do things around the house, afraid to travel, afraid to do things. And it's a very common fear because she doesn't know what are the long-term implications. What if I spend down too much of my money today and can't afford long-term care in the future? I'll start by earmarking a part of your portfolio for those long-term care goals and then use withdrawals on the rest of your portfolio to give you some peace of mind around what you could do withdrawal today. Now, you may be thinking this and saying, okay, that's great for her, but what about the spouse? What if they both need long-term care? Well, you could do the same thing. You could peel off another $200,000. You could also look at the home. 
So the home today, $325,000, if the appreciation on that home matches inflation, the inflation rate of long-term care, well, that's kind of like another $325,000 long-term care insurance policy that indexes for inflation. So that's two exceptionally expensive long-term care events that are fully covered using your assets. And this is one way of looking at it. So you could see of our assets, how much do we need to earmark for long-term stuff? And by the way, if we don't need it, great. We can spend those assets at that time versus how much of your current assets can you use to supplement income today, to live today, to travel today, to do things around the house today. So that's one way of looking at it. And to summarize, what could you do to protect against long-term care? Well, number one, right off the bat, you can buy long-term care insurance. This should very much be based on your own situation. If you are going to buy long-term care insurance, you could do it anywhere from age 55 to 62 on average is a good rule of thumb. The earlier you do it, the less expensive it will be, but the longer you'll be paying premiums. The later that you do it, the more expensive it's going to be, but the shorter you're going to be paying premiums. So it's about finding what's best for you. So that is always one option is you could buy long-term care insurance. You have to compare the cost of the policy versus self-insuring or self-funding to see what comes out better. Number two, look at your income sources. If you're fortunate enough to have strong income, social security, pension, rental income, etc. If you're fortunate enough to have strong income, then that may be sufficient. Again, needing long-term care insurance isn't meaning or it's not the same as having a long-term care event. Just because you have a long-term care event does not need, mean you need insurance. If you have strong income, that may be enough to, to cover it. But keep in mind the inflation of long-term care. Will your income sources be enough to keep up with that? Also keep in mind, what if one spouse passes away? What does that do to your income sources? But start there. Look at your current income sources and see, is this enough to cover what could come? The third thing you can do is is self-insure with investments. And self-insure is probably the wrong term. Self-fund is better because insurance is technically risk pooling and you can't pool with just yourself. But could you self-fund with investments? So that's a way of looking at what investments, what portion of them do you need for income today versus what income or what investments, I should say, could you set aside for the future to essentially self-fund long-term care if needed. And the benefit of that is if you don't have a long-term care need, you fully retain the assets. It's not tied up in an insurance policy. It's assets you can spend, you can use, that you can pass on to heirs if wanted. A fourth thing that you can look at is do you use your home here? So oftentimes a home is a pretty significant asset that most people have at this point. And that home, if they did need to, could you sell your home and use that to fund an assisted living facility, a private nursing facility, whatever may be needed. Now, the downside of that is there may be taxes, depending on how long you've owned your home and how much it's appreciated, if anything. So that's something to keep in mind. There's also that home is not going to be an inheritance. A lot of people, when I talk to them about their income and their investments, they say, you know what, we want to spend our investments while we're here and we'll maybe leave our home to our children. That may be a desire of yours. It may not be. But if you, of course, sell your home to pay for long-term care, there may not be much of an inheritance aspect left over. But I think your priority is covering the cost of your needs. So just something to think about there. And then number five, what can you do to protect? Take good care of yourself. So your chance of needing long-term care for you is based upon your personal probability. You can never fully minimize the chance that you're going to have a long-term care event. But what can you do to be healthier to decrease, not eliminate, but decrease your odds of needing insurance? That's a very important thing that most people don't talk about when it comes to this. It's just about how are we going to finance this? How are we going to fund this? Well, what can you do to mitigate the chance of this even happening? So how can you take good care of yourself, not just to decrease long-term care costs, but to have a healthier, happier retirement, but the added benefit is it's going to decrease your chance of needing long-term care. 
So today's episode's probably been a little bit more all over the place than usual considering the different options, but the takeaway is to view long-term care in an accurate light. Do not confuse the chance of needing long-term care with the reality of needing long-term care insurance, but today is really all about understanding what would long-term care cost, depending on the option that you select, understanding how the rest of your financial picture may offset some of these expenses as other expenses decrease when you go into a long-term care event or facility, understand how your different income sources may offset some of this expense of long-term care. So could your social security, pension, rental income, et cetera, could that be covered by some of your income sources without needing long-term care insurance? And then understand where the difference would come from between what your expenses at the time would be and what your income would be. You could fund that difference through long-term care insurance. You could fund it through a portfolio. You could sell or you could fund it through a home Whatever it is, make sure it's unique to your situation and understand how long-term care fits into your overall financial strategy. So that is it for today. Thank you very much for listening. If you have not already done so, please leave a review either on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and I'll see you all next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Ready for Retirement podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let me know by leaving a five-star review. And as always, for a list of the notes and the resources mentioned in today's episode, you can find those at the Ready for Retirement website, which is readyforretirement.co. That's readyforretirement.co. And if you have a question that you would like for me to answer in a future episode, then you can also go to the Ready for Retirement website, readyforretirement.co. There's a page called Submit Your Question where you can submit a question for me to answer in a future episode. Thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you next time. Hey everyone, it's me again for the disclaimer. Please be smart about this. Before doing anything, please be sure to consult with your tax planner or financial planner. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, tax, legal, or other financial advice. It is for informational purposes only.